0: What's going on, coaches? JT O'Sullivan came out with a new QB course. It's called How to Beat Every Coverage. Um, it's at theqbschool.teachable.com. Uh, and you can use our code RTP10 for 10% off, just like his last course. Uh, he's given all of our RTP listeners uh, 10% off, so use RTP10 at checkout uh, and get 10% off of his course. Me and Coach Walls have already gone through it, uh, and we loved it. It's been it's been awesome, uh, just like his course before. So you guys go ahead and, and make sure and check that out. Uh, also, our newest video was up last week. It's of North Dakota State. We've heard a lot of unbelievable feedback from that, so hopefully you guys enjoy that. You can find that on RTP Premium, which is on runthepower.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at just play the team at just play hooked us up with their product as you guys know uh, and it's been a game changer for us if you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all we obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes as you guys know power counter inside zone pin and pull uh, and formation so we can save time and be more productive that's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get My Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com/RTP, the best playbook tool on the market, at JustPlaySolutions.com/RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a -a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is team, b u i l d r.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Patrick Covington. Coach Covington is the assistant head coach, offensive coordinator, and offensive line coach at Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas. Listen as we talk with Coach Covington about developing as a play caller and coordinator after starting as an offensive line coach. You can follow Coach Covington on Twitter at Coach P. Covington. Hope you guys enjoy.
1: What's up, Coach? How you doing?
2: I'm doing really, really well, man. We're excited to have you on.
1: Yeah, it's it's a pleasure to be on. You guys are awesome, man. I've I've enjoyed um, listening over the, you know, um, probably the last half year, something like that, last five or six months I I came upon it. And um, it's, it's always great to plug it in and listen to it while you're working out or something like that, you know
2: we appreciate you being one of the we just hit a million today so we appreciate you being you know some of the the million listens we've had appreciate it nice
1: there you
0: go yeah it's it's been great for us because we get some some you know to us some big time offensive line coaches like yourself that um you know before before all the 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 coronavirus there wasn't they didn't have the you know a lot of time you wouldn't have time to just have a coach call in and and talk football for an hour you know you'd have to go see them at a clinic or or you know whatever but with us with the excuse of the podcast we get to have you know almost four hours of clinics every week personal clinics and so uh it's been great for us to steal from you guys
1: yeah i mean it's uh i would i'm definitely not the big time one i'd say that but uh <laughs> you know i think the cool thing is the guys that you guys have had on um you know at, at all different levels like uh like uh i mean uh, nick johnson is a guy uh, back in Georgia at Parkview High School. He was on a while back, I think. I mm-hmm. know him from recruiting. He actually played at Coastal Carolina way back when um, – uh, before I was coaching there. And then, um, you know, I, I heard a coach from – I recruited Alabama a little bit, of coach at Lynette High School, you know, talking the other day and that stuff. I mean, it's – so it's – I love how you guys got, you know, from all different parts of the country, get them on there, and it's fun to hear. So –
0: well, Coach, let's get it going, man. So, kind of how we always introduce, always start this thing is is kind of have you introduce yourself and and give everyone, you know, kind of your your football journey, if you will, your football backgrounds from from playing days to to coaching and how that brought you to where you are now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I was born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, I uh, probably started playing football about seventh grade. Um, Played a high school in Charlotte there, Myers Park High School, uh, the Fighting Mustangs, and then uh, I got probably my senior had a chance to go on to uh, was recruited by some Southern Conference schools, one uh, aa FCS level. Uh, I had a chance to go to Furman University and play for uh, Coach Bobby Lamb, the head coach, and my o line coach uh, was Clay Hendricks. And uh, man, we had some we had some good teams. You know, we had we had a, a bunch of good players. Had a lot of. Um, Playoff runs and uh, never made it all the way. We ended up losing uh, my senior in the semifinals to Appalachian when they went on their run in 2005. Um, but it, it was an awesome time in the Southern Conference. And then from there, I uh, had a chance to, like everybody, you know, when you, I knew probably when I was a junior in high school, I wanted to coach college ball or coach in some way, shape, or form. Didn't know how I was going to do it. Didn't grow up in a coaching family or anything. Uh, my dad played college ball Western Carolina. Um, uh, but it wasn't something where I really knew how to do it. So leaned a lot on my college coaches and um, just started, you know, writing, emailing uh, everybody at all levels um, my senior year um, and uh, and got a couple callbacks. And one of them was David Bennett at Coastal Carolina. They had a, a strength and conditioning GA spot open up, and I jumped all over it. Um, I was there for about uh, one season. And uh, they were coming off as a as a brand new program, and they were they were really coming off of a, of a great year, first year of having seniors. Had a bunch of guys that ended up being pros. Tyler the quarterback, and Mike Tolbert played for the Panthers for a while in San Diego. Um, but but an awesome group of coaches. Uh, Coach Bennett's a great man, um, and just some other guys I got to learn from there. Jamie Snyder and, and uh, Kevin Brown. But uh, from there, uh, I got really really lucky. I'm 23 years old and. My O line coach, Clay Hendricks, gets the O line job at Air Force. And for you guys that are familiar with the service academies, they usually have um, a freshman team. So they have 13 on the field, I believe it is now, and in, in a couple of GAs. Um, so I was n- lucky number 13 at the age of 23. Um, didn't know what I was doing, but I had a great staff and, and, and coach Troy Calhoun, and man, just, just a bunch of great people. And we were, it was kind of a cool office. Being, we, uh, we did a little bit of everything. we did some pro style uh, stuff and uh, stuff in the gun, but uh, and we still had the uh, the spread uh, three back triple option stuff um, under center so really got to learn uh, from Coach Calhoun and play you know and work with my uh, the guy that had coached me so it was a pretty easy transition there. I was there for three years um, they had a lot of, had a really good run for uh, coach Calhoun's first three years there um, went to some bowl games and uh, then got an opportunity to come back to coastal. Uh, about 26, 27 at the time, and uh, and be a Division one to A O line coach. And uh, I was there. We for with Coach Bennett for two years, um, and then with Coach Moglia after that. Joe Moglia, um, who, if you guys follow college football, has got a, an interesting story and uh, mm-hmm. but a great guy. And he really, man, he. Um, you know I, I was it was an interesting deal when they hired him I was sitting there as a, as one of the kind of the interim guys kind of you know held over you know trying to keep keep the recruiting class together and and uh, we didn't know we didn't know who this guy was <laughs> and after about i tell everybody you know I was we were looking up on the internet, we we're like, what is going on here but after we he he interviewed the the previous staff and um so the, a little bit of his background for you guys that don't know is he he's He's like the rags to riches story a little bit. You know, it's, um, there's a book out there called Fourth and Gold by Monty Burke. It's, it's, it's a really good read. It may be a movie one day, really. But um, but he, uh, basically, he was a long-time he – He's was, a long time, he was from, from the Bronx, from New York. And he was a long-time high school coach, got into the college coaches, ended up being a D.C. at Dartmouth. Then he got out, you know, probably about my age, and he got out um, of college coaching and went to work on Wall Street and basically worked his way from, a, you know, the bottom of the barrel um, and because guys weren't making as much money back then in coaching and he was trying to support his family. His family's living in one spot, he's living in another spot and basically worked his way all the way to the top of Merrill Lynch. And then, you know, I, and I'm not a business guy, but I was a of my head. But he and basically was part of the, the merger between TD Bank and Ameritrade Corporation. And, and I mean, like, from he always described to us, he's like, he basically hit a home run. Um, in the financial sector um, when during the recession early two thousand, But anything, then he got back into football he, he, and uh, and then Coastal Carolina hired him. And that's kind of the short short story of it, so they don't get too long to win it. But he's an awesome guy I worked for. Uh, he he really uh, kind of took Coastal to the next level um, in a lot of ways. Um, had a, we had a good run as the FCS school. Um, finished in the top five a couple times. And uh, then we transitioned to Sun Belt in 2017 and made a jump in scholarships. So, was there until this last season, 2019, and then had the opportunity to uh, go work with a guy named Blaine Morgan out here at Lamar in Beaumont, Texas, South and Conference School. Um, and got a chance to be the, the offense coordinator line coach. and uh, But Blaine was one of those guys that. I kind of always hoped that one day when he got his chance to be a head guy, that I would have the opportunity to come along with him. I've always been really intrigued about Texas football recruiting in Texas and Louisiana. Um, we had actually played Lamar uh, in my time at Coastal back in 2016 and uh, was really impressed with the head of facility wise and just felt like it was kind of like a sleeping giant a little bit. So, um, but been been very blessed, very fortunate, like, you know, just had the opportunity to. Because of the relationships, you know, you're building coaching and the people you're around are really – man, I felt like I skipped a bunch of steps and uh, and um, got lucky really, really long. Um, and I'm married to uh, um, my wife, Louise, who we met a junior year in college. And I have a son, Gus, seven-year-old, and Annie uh, – little girl Annie who's six. So I'm probably my biggest – you know – my the guy who's the head coach at Furman University now, one of school in Greenville, where I played, um, Clay Hendricks, he was my O line coach there, like I was saying. And he's the guy that, you know, if you got that, the kind of guys that your your father in coaching. I've always thought he's that guy for me. You know, the one you kinda of always lean on and learned a lot from. You know, you feel like you know, always pick up the phone and call, that kind of thing. So I think that was about it. I <laughs> think that's about it. So here I am. <laughs> That's where, I, that's where
0: we're at we're Beaumont Texas right now yeah the well that's that's um you know right down the road from where I was for five years um in, yeah. in Houston what's what do you guys I mean do you have to be as an offensive line coach as an offensive coordinator it, it seemed like as a player um in Houston that the the coaches weren't really taking care of us but is that something in the obviously maybe not this year with everything going on but in the June, July, in the 2 days of, of fall, is that something that with the temperatures that it gets down there that you guys have to look at, that you have to plan practices around? Uh, is, your, is, is, is you guys as a staff, do you guys try to go in the heat of the day to get used to it, or are you guys trying to go in a cooler part of the day so you can get the most out of practice? What's your kind of thought process through that? Because that's probably something that I would assume most people don't have to think about in the fall, you know, where it's regular hot, but down there, as well as other places, you know, around the U S it's, it's irregularly hot with uh, unbelievable humidity.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, actually it's like very similar, to what I was coming from. Um, we were on the coast in, in the Carolinas, but, but it was hot, you know, I mean, and, and, I think it gets on average a little bit warmer in Beaumont, um, like, as you know, being in Houston, but, um, no doubt. I think you got you to gotta take care of the players for sure. Uh, you got to be smart with that. You know, you can't be out there on the turf in the middle of the day. Um, there's a certain level, you know, that everybody knows there's that trade-off between toughness and when the dudes put the, their helmets on and, and it's 10-degree hotter in that helmet than it is, you know, really out on the field. And it's not something physically that they can do anything about. It's not a toughness thing or anything. So, um, and you got to get those guys, you know, you got to do a good job of coaching the tough in them and getting them in enough of the heat um but but you just got to be careful with it you just you just got to be smart because at the end of the day you know you kind of right now it's a little bit different because we actually didn't need to go through a spring ball so we're still kind of learning about what we actually do have currently with with incoming freshmen and what we have you know going in going into the summer but um by that point you get to august camp you know you you should have a a pretty decent idea what you got already um but no doubt you gotta you gotta be careful you know, for any for it's like all levels, right? And it, it, you know, uh, I think it's it's one of those things that probably more more than even since we when when you guys played and when I played that um, there's a, there's a higher concern for it. You know, well,
0: that's exactly right. And and like you said, it's a fine line because you know, as as much as it stunk at times during two days during the summer when you brought a team down to Houston or into Beaumont, I'm sure. I mean, you see some of those teams just wilt. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's it's something that they're talking about all week where to you it's cooling down. To them it's as hot. I mean, I remember when we brought UCLA in and played the game in the very middle of the day. And and I always thought, you know, I assumed California was hot. I didn't know it had beaches. But I, it, it wasn't Houston or, or, you know, Beaumont hot. And so they come in and, and they just wilted away. And for us it was almost like a cool day. It was – the biggest equalizer, I, I truly thought it was the biggest equalizer we had at the University of Houston was it could just get so hot. And we were used to it. It wasn't a thing for us. And, and some of those teams, they they definitely did not like it. You know, I've, I've been at – I played at Elevation and I've played in the heat. And Elevation never bothered me. But I've seen some guys
1: really, really crumble to that heat. You no, know, there's no doubt about it. I mean, don't – I'd be lying to you if you said we didn't think about – you know using it as an advantage and, and, and for our, from a scheduling standpoint from a from a just a mentality type deal you know <laughs> right. especially i think you got i think you got to a little bit and um and i i think it's kind of like where you're at wherever you're at you know as a coach you, you know it's gonna and, and you always with the players and with the guys you got to treat like you know this is this is the spot you know and these are our advantages when you talk about what you what you do have and what, what you can use as a competitive advantage against your opponent, and so I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think that can be our edge, um, just like you described with you guys in Houston.
0: Well, and then, you know, even going to – again, that's, that's obviously – it could be a small negative how hot it is. Everything else about being in that area is such a positive recruiting-wise. I mean, the city of Houston, there's so many things to do. You know, there's – you guys are even closer to the ocean. I mean, you can be in the ocean. You could be um, in the middle of a bunch of pastured fields around the area. Uh, you could be in the middle of the fourth largest city in, in the country. It's just there's so much stuff to do around there. Uh, and you get to play some really good football.
1: Yeah, no question. I'll tell you what, I, I've just been so impressed with, um, you know, there's, there's good ball players. You know, We We came out here. Um, they had signed one of the previous staff had signed one guy in the first signing day, and as you guys you know with the new with the early signing day, the last couple of years, it's been a little different every year, but you know back east if you didn't sign you know seventy five to ninety percent of your class in the first signing day now, you felt like you were out of luck whether you're if you're an f c s or higher hmm. and we got out here and they had they had signed they were in transition, so they'd only signed one and and I was I was, was freaked. I was lying. I'd be lying to you if I wasn't freaking out a little bit. And so, uh, but we got out here, and our recruiting coordinator, Coach Gibson, he, he's an East Texas guy. And he, he brought down a list to us, and and I and I was searching for what was wrong with these guys. You know, because there was so much talent, and I felt like there's no way they had to have a GPA problem. They had to have some injury issue. And as we were digging and going through everybody, it's just amazing to me between. You know, because we're, you're, you're you're very familiar with the area where we are. is We're 30 minutes from the Louisiana border. So right. East, Texas, East mm-hmm. Texas, the Golden Triangle, Houston. I mean, you get up into DFW a little bit. But that area of, you know, out to Lake Charles, to Lafayette, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, and back around up to central Louisiana. I mean, that's all you need. Yeah. It's,
0: like the, it's like the old Miami, uh, you know, thought process. You guys should never use more than a tank of gas out recruiting because, like you said, it's just so – it's unbelievable. And and even growing up here in Oklahoma, I always thought we had some good athletes, and we do. But it's unbelievable just the sheer number that's in Houston. And then you add that Louisiana. Then you add that East Texas area. It's, it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And, I mean, it's the same thing. We've had some, you know, guys pop up in Oklahoma, too. You know, like um, – and, you know, we can't talk specifically about them or anything, but there's uh, – it's, it's been pretty I've – been, I've been amazing. You know, we, I signed five linemen in this last class. I never thought I would have signed five linemen in the second time. They're all good player guys that I would have wanted at the group of five level, too, you know. You know so, um, it's a, definitely an awesome area, and, and we're, we're still learning. My family just got out here before Easter break. We're still learning more and more about it. They are, you know, they haven't been out of the house a whole lot. <laughs> So, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but the, but the people here are awesome for sure.
0: Well, yeah. coach, so, so I'm kind of curious when, uh, you know, at Air Force Academy and obviously, you know, with that, that freshman, that freshman football, or I think that's how they call it. Is that correct? Freshman football.
1: Yeah. So what that you have, you have like, yeah, I mean. Basically, and a lot of have,
0: times it's for guys that, that don't qualify for Air Force Academy,
1: but they're no, really close. Well, no. you're, you're on the right track. They have a prep school there. All the service yep. academies also have a prep school. Now, Air So Force they're Force not it, – it's, it's not necessarily exactly – you're not in the academy. So nobody at the academy redshirts, you know, they're a four-year guy, you know, unless they get a medical redshirt. But, uh, right. but I was – Air Force prep was separate. It's actually on campus there, but it's separate. I was with the actual academy staff, but we would actually, we had enough guys. You have such a high attrition rate at those academies because of the rigors of the academics and, and the military right. lifestyle that first year that, you know, you're going to recruit more in a class. You know, they're not going to just sign 25. So you're going to have enough to, to play a freshman schedule. And really, and, you know, I don't know what they do currently, but then it was you were playing, you know, they were playing the other, um, you might play the Air Force prep school, you may play. Like a little uh, pro-amateur team, you may play, um, you know, another D2 squad or something like that, you know. So you play; it wouldn't be a bunch, but you'd play um, um, five or six games, you know, just to give those guys some work because they weren't going to redshirt anyway, you know. So, but we would do that, and then Friday, you know, I was the young bucks. So Thursday we'd play that game, and then Friday I'd be out in Atlanta or San Diego or Houston or Dallas for work recruiting. And you know, I'd be flying in Saturday morning for wherever we were playing and um just a really really awesome experience
0: i got to i was recruited by air force out of out of high school um it would have been i guess in in two thousand and nine was my senior season but I got recruited by Air Force out of high school, so I got to go that summer and visit the Air Force academy. It is unbelievable just how beautiful everything is it it's it's really, really crazy how how unbelievable that campus
1: is. No doubt. Now, so, you – if you were – I bet your, your recruiter was Matt Wallerstead then, right? Coming out maybe? Um, I don't know. Probably
0: so. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's been so long. Um, I guess. I can't remember. But, yeah, I was, I, I was lucky. I made good enough grades that they would have let me in. Um, yeah, but it was it was, you know, a little bit too much of a commitment for me. But, I, honestly, I loved, I loved the offense. I loved, you know, everything about it being, being around there. I just um, it wasn't, wasn't for me, obviously. But so did you, did you take any of that, you know, that style offense, when you think of Air Force Academy, did you take any of that offense with you as you went on to coach and coordinate, or, or is that just something that, that you learned and I'm glad you learned but not something that you use currently?
1: Well, yeah, well, when I played in college, we were, we were an outside zone, you know, I formation, inside zone, power, uh, gap scheme team, but we had option principles. We ran some belly-belly options, some trap-trap options as well. Um, and then when I – so when I got to Air Force, um, with, there was such – you know, Troy Calhoun was coming from the NFL and some time in the ACC. So he was not just, you know, old school double slot and – They had been pretty good at that, and they had a senior quarterback in Sean Carney that was really good at operating that. But he was—he was a heck of a thrower, and he he was—he 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 was—you know—he's a good runner and all that. So, um, but we basically became an up tempo. I mean, no huddle, up tempo in the elevation, and we were running inside and outside zone out of the eye, multiple formations. Mm. But you could what what the thing here—the biggest thing that, without being long-winded, that I learned there was being able to get from whether with formations and shifts um, to change the picture on a defense, you're either got to be, you're in, in our minds, we always felt like you need to be changing the picture, right? You need to be um, or getting in the right call, or you need to be playing fast to gain an advantage on a normal D and D. And that's probably the biggest thing I got from coach Calhoun. And so that wh- whether as we were running old school, midline triple or staying in the same personnel uh, the double slot, and then getting into the eye at an up tempo pace. To the very next play, without subbing anybody, and running outside zone, you know, strong to the tight end with the lead. Um, it gave, It just. It was hard for people to play a lot of different fronts, and it was hard for people um, to 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 be option sound and and play the pro style stuff too. Um, so, I guess to answer your question, that this, besides kind of those three principles, the biggest thing for me was. I always wanted to be able to incorporate some version of, of, of a read in, 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 in whatever I was doing, whether it was out of the gun um, or under center. You know, I always wanted to have some way to, to get the ball on the perimeter um, with some type of dive and, and pitch, whether it be, you know, some years at Coastal it was, you know, it was zone read with a smoke bubble and we're reading the backer or it's, we're, reading, you know, we're reading the end and now we're pitching off the overhang like you see so many people do. Um, but I just felt like that always gave you a little bit of advantage um, to make, make people kind of play the way you want to play and not be as exotic, I guess.
0: So with that, and, and again, I've only talked to a couple people about it, so it may not be with every you know, team that can run the option, but the few that I've sat in on are, are like a numbered system when they're running option. Mm-hmm. Do, did you – were you guys that? Did you keep that? How do you mesh that with inside zone, or do you keep your inside zone rules and then teach to pitch off the edge guy? How, how do you kind of marry those two things with, with those being so different, at least in, in my mind, so different? Yeah,
1: yeah. So, like, like let's assume we're playing, you know, uh, legit teams, good players on defense. You know, you're playing that, that twitchy D tackle for Sam Houston Sater, that twitchy D tackle. At U of H, and and, and um, there's a big difference when you run triple out of the gun and under center, whether it's zone triple or it's old school B gap load triple out of double slot, it hits so much faster under center, as we all know. So those blocks are just just different blocks, right? Um, but from a count system, um, you know, the we it's kind of like what we how it's just how you talk to the guys and what you call everybody. You know, for us, uh, the Number one, or the, the read key most of the time, number one would be the first guy head up to outside the tackle. Number two would be the next guy outside of him. You know, number three would be the, you know, the overhang force defender outside him, you know, a safety corner. So um, I think where, where those guys, the, the count system was so important, they always were looking for the first thing they did when they got in any kind of formation um, was where did you have numbers to be able to get the ball on the perimeter? Um, where could you gain a number um, in the option game? And um, that would probably be the bigger, you know, biggest difference. I don't think – what I always liked about the, the count system is you were talking about – you weren't talking about somebody as a Sam Mike Will or a D-tackle DN. You were talking about him. It was a really clear communication. You know, the zero defender was going to be the first guy inside number one. So everything kind of started with number one. Number one was the first guy, like a four-eye out basically. And so there was pretty clear – on each side of the center, there was pretty clear communication of who we were talking about. You know, if you were in slide protection, um, you know, we were going to be – for a slide to the left, right, and a 3 slide to the left, you were going to be locked on zero and one on the right side. So it was a good way of simple communication. Um, and it didn't really change necessarily that much when you got to more pro-style stuff. Um, but it's just a way of, like, kind of, you know – instead of calling it a D-Tackle or a Sam or a Mike or whoever, it was a good way of, of kind of communicating.
0: Gotcha. So, I don't so know if I answered your question earlier. Really no, right no, no, you, you did. So, so my other big question is, um, you know, at Broken Arrow, at my high school, we're, we're very – we're eye formation and, and have a ton of shifts, trades, and like you said, motions, um, which I love as a coach, but as an offensive line coach, I don't always love. Um, obviously, yeah. because now the the picture's changing, and you know it, is someone coming into the box, is someone leaving the box? is the whole front changing and and so right but obviously as as an overall picture, it's great for us and and it you know it can do some really good things for us how do you how do you work with your offensive line? I mean, do they know the certain key words that, that means there's a shift? Do you have to build your whole
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Scheme around different things. How does that work? I want to do a better job with my guys of of being prepared for that movement or what they do when they get that movement once they've already made their declaration.
1: Right, for sure. No, I think anytime you're gonna have a motion or shift or a trade or whatever, that's gonna you feel like it's gonna affect the box, right? They need to have a way to know that. We I always felt like um, whether it was you know just a fly sweep because we had this you know you're getting. Those guys up front don't know what the formation is, right? You know, they, don't know, they, they don't know that you're in two-by-two two spread and, and you're shifting back into to I-form or whatever, and now you're getting a 4-3 box. You can, uh, um, so we, we've had ways to communicate that within the play call. Um, we've had years where we've signaled to the line um, the play call as well, like you see a lot of teams do, and that's part of something um, that they get when you feel like that motion, that shift's going to affect that box and it's going to be important enough. If they're just staying, if you're running like a straight up, you know, there might be some counters that you run out there, some gap schemes where it might not matter as much, right? Because those guys get, you know, those pullers have time to see and stay on track and you're not worried about the necessary, they're, they're deucing back to the backside back, and they can really hammer and stay on track. They don't need to know that there's a motion or a shift. Um, But, we, we have always communicated when we felt like it would make a difference, for sure, for sure. And I think you got to be careful. I think you got to limit, like, um, especially when you're changing the, the the run strength. Like, if you're a 12 team or like you guys as a 21, and you're and you're really you're really flopping everything and flipping everything. I think you got to be careful how much you do with that within the course of the game, unless you feel like, unless you feel like you're going to get the same picture every time. You know, right, right.
0: Right, yeah. That, I mean, because there's times in, in a game where, where you trade the tight end and now they're making the guy that's normally playing the shade, if if they're not going to switch guys, now they're making him play a three and, and maybe we just – we like that, you know. you know. Right. We want him on a certain side or we want to be able to run a certain play to him. It's great. But then, you know, we go against some of these three, four teams or, you know, at other times where it's almost like we're trading or shifting just – just to trade or shift it, it's we want to have enough you know for lack of a better term cool things to do during the game with trades and shifts and different things but sometimes it's like we're doing you know are we just doing it to do it you know and so it's trying to find what's going to actually help us out you know on Sundays
1: right no doubt now we had you know you have years too where you're you're truly up tempo and you're truly snapping it fast it's kind of the same idea and you have to have plays if you're going to shift, and and you're snapping the ball right away, and you're not giving guys time. It's it's no different than right going up tempo and really trying to snap that with when gaining advantage with guys not having their hand down or, or not being able to ID the the formation recognition type stuff on D. So um, you got to make sure those plays that you're calling during that time is not something. I mean, I mean at Coastal, our our you know our number one up tempo was was basically a a search zone play, you know, when we were a spread zone team where we were shuffling flat, you know, like what what Strollo and those guys have done for years there. They did at Ball State and then then just running downhill A-gap power. And because you knew at the end of the day those guys could stay on track and you could teach them the nuances of it um, Mm -hmm. enough where they were still playing strong and still fighting through their gaps and what the concept was to where they didn't have to necessarily – you know, ID anything and they can, they could go. So the same kind of the same thing of what you're, what you're talking about is a similar deal when it's, when it's up tempo, but for sure. I no, I've been there, man. I know, that, I know the feeling on that, right? Everybody <laughs> just, they just want to say, Hey man, just figure it out. Right. That's but, right.
0: Um, well, especially to me, the tough one is like, and we don't do it much here, but we did in college was you know, they, they, they run the the jet motion into the box, but then you're running like, zone at where the jet motion was coming from to me that just it it was so difficult mm-hmm.
1: yeah and, and and sometimes you know that's kind of more of a common thing nowadays right you're seeing that so much more right the people getting in fib and you got you got a passing strength into the boundary and they're bringing that slot and that's a that's a pretty common thing now i and i always felt like again like you running a running a counter scheme over into that you know. Um, and if you're running a zone like a, a wide zone or a B gap or anything that's not hitting downhill, yeah, for sure. They better know that your point's changing, right? You they gotta know yeah. that, that overhang, you know, unless unless those backers are just gonna chill and they're gonna rock and roll in the in the, in the secondary, um, you're gonna have somebody falling into that box and you gotta be prepared to you gotta prepare to point that guy, for sure. So absolutely.
2: Shifting gears a little bit, you know, I'd, I'd written down here, you started off as a, a strength GA, and that kind of piqued my interest, just, you know, being an offensive line guy, and I know I was an exercise science major, and, and always kind of found, you know, the strength aspects and the, you know, movements of the body, all those things were, were great information for me, once I became an offensive, you know, line coach, one for kind of evaluation purposes, knowing, you know, guys have to have certain base, base levels of strength. You know, how does the body move? You know, what areas is he weak? How can he not do? And it made me a better coach, like, understanding, you know, might not be a wide zone team. This guy might struggle in protection. You know, how did kind of that one year maybe as a strength GA help mold you a little bit as a coach and and maybe kind of understanding some of the physical aspects and maybe limitations of offensive linemen?
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, I was a poor man's strength GA. You know, like, I love the weight room as a player. And it was a way for them to kind of fit me in there. I, I wouldn't say I was exactly qualified for it besides my you know time as a player. Um, but I was a big weight room guy when I was playing. Um, and uh, what I noticed, to answer your question, the biggest thing, I always – what really struck me how much there was – if I could – I always thought about – And when I got into recruiting, too, I was thinking back, like, assuming guys are – assuming guys are, you know, tough and, and – had the right mentality up front, and they're bright enough to do it. What are the two things that are probably the most important thing? You know, when you're at the FCS level, you're not going to get – or the D2 level, or you're not – if you're not in the top 25, right, necessarily of, of the power five, then you're not going to get the pick of the litter. And, and it's, everybody's looking for the same thing at the O-line for the most part. But if I could pick two things that probably matter the most, it would be how high is that – squat? i not saying these are the only things, but how high is that squat number and how low is that body comp? You know, assuming a kid's carrying enough weight to do it. Um, but the guys that I had over the years that they had to be, right, they had to have the mentality they had to come first, right? They had to be knowledgeable enough as far as just being able to work for it. Um, but if those two things, when I noticed as my time, um, you know, in the weight room and just looking back at it, it the higher that squat number was, the lower that body comp, um, was the better body control they had? They were certainly. If they, you mean, know, if they're a five hundred, five hundred fifty pound squatter, you know, with twenty five percent body fat, at you know, at three hundred, two ninety, two eighty five, those guys were studs. You know, they were they were controlling their body weight. They were able to redirect laterally. They were strong, twitchy guys. They they could bend in their their ankles, their knees, and their hips. And you just always saw the guys that struggled. I mean, if you put a guy in a, that, assuming they had some technique and understood how to do it right not a freshman in high school on the jv team but you put him under a front squat right and he and he's struggling you know to come out of that thing um that's you know that's going to correlate to the field big time Mm -hmm. um so is the weight room piece of it you know for all positions the most important thing i'm the meathead that probably would tell you yeah but but it's probably not for every other position but But for O-line, I think there's a direct correlation to, you know, that room with all the heavy objects and how we play on the field, assuming that you've got the right mentality when you're out on the field, no doubt.
0: Coach, also, you know, uh, kind of uh, a special deal with with calling the plays or coordinating and also with the offensive line. Um, What – so, to me, all offensive line coaches hate empty protection – because they've only got five guys and it's almost like every offensive coordinator loves empty protection because they get more, more, um, athletes out on the field and have a chance to get the ball. Where do you fall on that spectrum since you have to do, both, you have to do both and you got to worry about both.
1: Yeah, man. Rhythm throws, man. Right. Get it out. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, my, my kind of – and I learned – I had a, had a great OC at Coastal. And Dave Note he's at Georgia Tech right now, and they're in the process of converting that from, you know, trip-off style to, to more what they want to be. And uh, I always thought he had a great way of – in five-man protection of just whether you had a bat coming free release out of the back, or you were lining up and empty. You better have a way to prepare for when you, – you'd want to make teams, you know, when you line up and empty. If they wanted to zero out, you wanted to have a plan to how you'd make them pay for doing that. You know, if they were gonna bring, if they were gonna, you know, bring everybody, bring six. But um, I was, you know, he he wasn't gonna do five man protection and, and so plan on having to hold that ball for a long time. You know, it, our five man stuff was was an opportunity to get the ball out fairly quick, um, whether it was a free release out of the backfield or whether it was lining up and empty. So I've I've always kind of been around guys, coordinator wise, that if you were getting five out, it wasn't one of those deals where you could try to. Um, try to hold stand backward there with the ball for a long time, you know, it's mainly going to be some type of um, quick game on both sides or you better have a really good, um, you know, beat on something that was going to be able to get out with, you know, a fairly good rhythm. So um, I think you see a lot nowadays too, where a lot of the stuff out of empty or free release is some, you know, some, um, you know, snag, some type of stick concept with a three man surface and then, you know, double slants on the backside. It's a lot of that built in nowadays. Um, but there are some teams that can do it, man. They, they sit back there and they um, they can stay in it all day. I've just never really been a part of that. So,
0: All right. Well, that, that makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, <laughs> that, and I get it. I really, really do. And we've talked to some great empty empty coaches. Like you said, that was kind of was where they lived. And, man, it makes me so nervous. But we – we're just now getting into kind of having that empty protection. We, we ran the ball, like I said, 80, probably 75, 80% of the time. So um, the amount of empty we did was so minimal that to me, it didn't make sense to also have an empty protection for maybe two times a year. But now that, you know, we might be able to throw some more now, you know, remembering back in college, having empty protections. And so trying to go through that and watch some of coach walls, film that he has and, and kind of, builds a whole new element, you know, kind of to that offense. So, yeah. obviously, well, no don't want to live in it, but um, it is, I guess, I guess, good to have. <laughs> yeah, and
1: I, I think my thing is, like, if you're going to line up – well, we're talking two different things, too, right, five-man and empty. But from an empty standpoint, if you're lining up in that, you're lining up in that for a reason, right? You're, you're trying to isolate somebody. Or, but when you do that, right, you're, you're trying to isolate one of those box backers some way or somehow on a better player. But how do you – how do you you better have a plan. The other thing you always have to have, you're going to line up in that. you got to have a plan when they're going to bring all those different, you know, games now, right? Right. Where they're going to show zero pressure and it can't just be double slants anymore and try to cut everybody down. You know, they're going to pop guys out and get underneath it. So you, you've got to have those two or three things you can go to in the quarter base. It can't be something you check from the sideline. Got to be something the quarterback can get you into, so right. it can be a really good weapon, I think. But you got to have that plan, so,
2: coach. I, I think another cool aspect you, know, you talk about working for a guy like like Blaine Morgan, and I'm I'm guessing obviously you know you'd worked at Air Force, uh, you know as as a GA and been working there, and and Blaine Morgan's probably a guy you know you look up to a guy that you kind of latch yourself to, and, and and I think a lot of people kind of have you know you know dreams of moving up in college and dreams of you know, being an offensive line coach, and you know, a coordinator, whatever it might be, but but that piece that, that you talked about, you know, the, that relationship, knowing that guy, you know, how did you kind of know that Blaine Morgan was going to be the guy? And how did you kind of, you know, keep cultivating that relationship? You know, because you were at Air Force a long time ago, and now all of a sudden it's, it's kind of come to fruition to where it's worked out for you at Lamar. I think a lot of guys want to hear that story.
1: Yeah, no, I think, um, man, you just, I mean, everybody's got, like, you all everybody's got a guy right everybody's got a couple guys hopefully that you know if you're in it long enough that um you know I like I was blessed to be at Coastal but um for for 10 years and, and it was awesome and we got to see that thing transition and got to be it was great to see guys recruit guys especially the line and have them come all the way through and now they're out doing things like real careers and have a shot to play pro ball and just 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 and be at that spot so when they're coming back you're still there that's the coolest experience ever but I think, um, you know, I think what's really important is I've always felt the advice that I've got is, and you've heard people say it, is just you got to do a really good job where you're at. And, the, and what I was probably early on in my career, too, one of those things of I just felt like most O-line guys you want to put down your head and do, you know, do your work, and you feel like the rest will take care of itself. And that's true to an extent, I think, you know. Um, I do think that's true to the extent that people are going to see the film but you got to cultivate those relationships around you, you know, no matter what level you're at and you got to stay in touch with people. You got to pick up the phone and, and you got to call them. You got to write them a note. You got to make sure, um, you know, that you keep, you got to go back and clinic with people. You know, you got to do these things um, like that you guys do. Um, I mean, you guys develop relationships all the time that um, through this program that you never know may help you out later on in your career. And But I think at the end of the day too, is like, you just, it's the, a big part of the reason we're out here in Beaumont is because of the people that we want to be around. You know, we knew kind of how, how Coach Morgan was going to do things within the team and how he's going to run things as, a, as an organization and just from a family atmosphere and from being able to have fun doing a pretty, you know, a fun job that we all love doing. But at the same time, we're just on winning losses, right? So just – I think when you have an opportunity to kind of – not to say choose that, but you got to – you know, to jump on an opportunity where you know you feel like it's going to be gold for you and your family, and you got a shot to win and and be productive. You know, and, and have some fun. I mean, I, it just doesn't get better than that in our in our business with all the hours you spend in it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Blaine was one of those guys. For the, for, I think from the get go, when you when you you get a chance to work with somebody that's been successful as a player and as a coach and as a good guy, right? Um, and if, if, I mean, you hit the gold mine right there. And so you just, you want to protect those relationships. Um, and you want to develop those relationships with people like that. You know, there's, it's just like any business, right? There's a lot of guys out there that, that are, man, they they could be really good coaches, but you may not want to spend a whole lot of time around it. Right. But, and there's some other guys, I mean, just being honest, right. Somebody yeah. made me think that about me too. Um, but, um, but then there's those guys that you really align with value wise and, 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 and kind of, um, not just from an X's and o standpoint, but as, as people and character and just, uh, you know, with their families and all that. Man, I just think you latch onto those relationships and protect those relationships and just keep developing because you just never know down the road um, when something will come along that you want to take advantage of, you know, that's good for your family. So, and two, from the coordinator standpoint, too, you know, you guys asked, but like, you know, we're in one of those situations where th- we got everybody's going to have a lot of input. You know, that's the cool thing about. Um, with Coach Morgan, how he wants to do it. You know, he's going to have a lot of say in what we do, too. Um, obviously, being an offensive guy, being a heck of a player, and being in San Diego State. And the cool thing is we've got so many different influences coming from uh, different parts of our staff. And uh, it's it's really neat to be around. There's, there's some option background. You know, at San Diego State, those guys have been um, a lot of high formation, you know, 12, uh, 21, uh, 22 personnel. And they lived in the the boot boot setup world. and outside zone, and very pro style. Um, and I've been, I'm coming from a gun option the last couple of years. We've all got a little bit of option background. Um, I've been in a lot of up-tempo uh, recently, but also has some pro style aspects. And then you got other guys that have done a little bit of everything. So uh, it's, been, it's been pretty cool. You know, the good thing about not having spring practices now nobody has a clue what we're going to be doing in the fall. Um, and uh, uh, But we're, we're really excited to see how it all comes together. Is well, that Coach, something? Go ahead,
2: Walls. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, cu- coming together with, with all those different backgrounds, I guess I'm, I'm interested or fascinated to, to kind of hear maybe, you know, how you guys have kind of put that together. Was that something that, you know, Coach Morgan kind of laid the framework and we'll build around it? Or is that something where everybody kind of just sat down, they brought their ideas, you guys all kind of decided what was best? Here's what we're going to call it, here's how we're going to do it, and boom, let's go.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think well, we all started with like, well, Coach Morgan started with from a mentality and like a person standpoint, you see a lot of similarities in the guys he hired, you know, uh, from a dependability, dependability standpoint, uh, from how we're going to coach our guys, how we're going to hold them accountable, um, and from a recruiting aspect, how we're going to hustle there. But um, I think the awesome part of it is uh, between, you know, Austin Jacobs, Jackson Eskerka, Ron Antoine, Kobe Gibson, all these guys, um, we, we understood that the number one thing was the guys can communicate well on the field and that whatever we were calling stuff, it made sense to them. And so we, we thought a lot, of, you know, as far as how we were going to call things, what we actually name it, uh, what we were going to call, you know, any of our zones, any of our gap schemes, any of our options, whatever it was, it was going to make sense in whatever word association we were going to use to those guys. So um, that's kind of where we started with, we, you know, we got a base outline of, of what type of concepts in the run and pass game that we wanted to make sure we had in there. And then we kind of took a little bit. You know, it was a lot of fun, man, after we got through recruiting. <laughs> and we had, you know, we had, uh, because we pushed spring ball back, we had, you know, a good two week period to sit down there and basically, you know, stitch together the playbook um, and see what fit. And then also you sit back and forth and, and you know, especially being an old line guy and saying, well, what's too much? You know, and, mm-hmm. and then. And then combining that right with what you guys deal with more than any of us deal with is what can we actually do, right? What do we have the ability to do? Like you hit on earlier, like you may not be able to be, you know, in a situation where we can go one-on-one and pass pro on the edge, right? you may not be able to run, turn your pads and run outside zone um, and redirect when guys are moving and slanting around, right? We may not be that type of team. We might have to be more of a, you know, uh, pass shoulder the shoulder line of scrimmage and run more vertical stuff. so. Um, there's no question. I mean, that, but that's one of the coolest experiences I've ever been around where trying to see how everybody – you can still be as, be as simple as on – everybody says it right, but be as simple as, uh, as we can for our guys and how they communicate, how we talk to them, making sense to them, them understand the concepts, do, do enough to make it a headache on a, on a defense, and, uh, but, but put it all together where it's, it flows, you know, for sure, you know.
0: So, coach, I'm kind of curious, as an offensive line coach myself, and and I don't ever, you know, and who knows what happens in the future, but I don't ever see myself wanting to be an offensive coordinator. But there, I'm sure there's th- tons of offensive line coaches out there that eventually would like to be an offensive coordinator. At what point in your career, at what point in your life do you Start having the ability to say, okay, now let's start learning some of the past game. Is, is that done by osmosis? Just, I mean, you're there so long that you learn it. Is there a certain time where you start saying, hey, I need to make a concerted effort to learn this stuff? How, how does that work or how did that work with you?
1: Yeah, I for sure like now. There's some guys out there that are just, just can understand it all, right? I think it's another thing to be able to teach it all for sure. I mean, that's when you really know. Um, and, and I'd be lying to you if you said I was, like, perfect at all that. I'm not. You know? So that's where you got to really lean on the other guys in the room that are the experts in those fields. Um, but, you know, all, you know from, a, from an O-line standpoint, I think every O-line coach out there is a coordinator in his own way, some way, shape, or form. I mean, so much of the game is done up front, whether everybody else wants to admit it or not. You guys know where, you know, you're, you're, you're responsible for making sure that, that the majority of it, you know, that works out all right, right? That we're on the right people or it's over quick. So um, I think you automatically start thinking about game playing. You automatically start thinking about how stuff that fits together um, when you're coaching a line. You have to, right? Uh, for the moment you start installing. So from a pass game standpoint, man, the best thing, and you guys have been a part of it, you know, being GAs, man, but the best way you learn football is breaking down film. So, Amen. yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and probably the, Probably the first way I learned how to type too, to be honest, <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> but, uh, but just sitting there and making yourself do coverages, right. And sitting there and breaking down the concepts too, that they're running, you know, and going through a third down cut up in the off-season study and just going through right there in trips and they're in three by one. These are the concepts and the coverages there by running. Why are people running this? Why are people running this? You know, we could sit here all day and say, all right, we, we know what we want to run to a three-take surface-wise, right? No doubt. You've got your three th- favorite things right now. Well, what do you want to run to, you know, what do you want to run to Like you know, cover four with squat, with palms coverage and two-by-two? Two? You know, what is – is it – got to get to the point where it's automatic for you based on what you got within your system. And I, I think, you, man, you rely on those guys around you that are experts in it. You listen to them and you have them teach it to you, right, over and over again until you get it. And I mentioned Dave Patteno again. Um, it, he was – you know, when I was probably about – we met when I was about 26, 27, and he was the first one. He he sat – I sat down with him, and I made him teach me at the base pass game. And we were kind of old school, run and shoot a little bit, but had a lot more layers to it. And he started – it all started with four verts, and so he – he started it there, and we went through everything, and that's when it finally kind of all clicked for me. Um, and then when you get in a new offense, you know, as I was blessed to be in about four or five different offensive systems in my time at Coastal, where um, you were forced to learn how other people thought, you're forced to learn how other people um, called things, and, and so you, you, it made you relearn it over and over again. So, man, I just think that the breaking down of film, the um, you know, and I and I would encourage you too. I don't think I don't think any O line coach is that far off from, you know, having you know being a coordinator. You know, because you got to be a really organized guy, right? Um, but if if you're an O line guy, you're an O line guy, man. I think it's hard. I would have a hard time not coaching the guys, you know, up front. That'd be difficult because I I, I that's what I that's what I love doing. Yeah, that's a big part of, and the only reason I'm doing. You know, this right now is because I know with what we're going to do, um, and all the people working together, and with Coach Morgan, that this will all work. You know, um, so. But I, I don't think it gets any better than coaching the guys up front, man. That's. <laughs> I think it'd be hard to coach some of those other positions.
2: <laughs> That's so. exactly right. I love that answer, though. I mean, they talk about breaking down film. I mean, I you know been be pushing twenty years of coaching here in, in a little while, but every single off season i'm I'm breaking down as many games as I can you know not just watching it to to find things i mean I'm like g a style you know putting in as much information as I can so I can build cutoffs but i'm I'm like you i mean as i'm doing that i'm learning i'm remembering it i'm I'm making connections it's like oh man they've they've called this play four times or you know you start to see when when this formation shows up or the backs right here I know what plays come and so it's like I think it just keeps you sharp, and it also kind of keeps you current just by doing those things repeatedly over and over again. It, it, I feel like I just keep learning more and more football just by watching and breaking down Phil.
1: No doubt, because you, if you do – I mean, you sit there, right? You don't, you don't, you're not an expert on something until you know the issues that come with it, right? No scheme's perfect, right? No technique is perfect. What are the, what are the issues that, pe- that are going to come with it? How are people going to try to defend it? How are people going to try to attack it? And until you go through a whole body of work and break something down and understand the why of why they're doing it, and you don't, you don't, you don't know. And that's why I go back to being involved. When you, if you're, you know, if you're as an old line coach, you get you, you like we talked about earlier. It's kind of like, you know, you got to figure it out, right? So <laughs> sometimes you end up watching. You may get a new coordinator, and you may end up uh, or a new head coach. And, you know, you're lucky to have a job. So man, you're going to do a good job of what they want to do, right? And then you get a chance to have your influence on it. But you may be sitting there watching the whole season of cut-ups of, or game film of, of what they've run previously in other places. And you got to figure out how all the, what all the problems and issues are with those schemes and may be something you're not familiar with or how they want to do it. Um, but it's an, it's an awesome I, – I still to this day, man, you're exactly right. We, I sit there. I'll, I'll type in all the information myself, break it down, because I just feel like then once you do that, you've got it. Mm-hmm. And he kind of never never leaves. You can sit there and click on the remote all day and watch cutups, but for me, you know, uh, just being able to um, do all that myself, I you get a lot. Feel like you you learn a lot, you get a lot done. But
2: even yeah, during the week, the same thing. Like I I, I want to do all the all the opponent breakdowns too, because again, you know, I'm going to know the opponent better than anybody else. It's just. I don't know, just just habit, I guess, but it's, I'm, I'm like you, man. I learned the same way. I, I got to type it. I can't sit there and just click through and watch it. I mean, I don't know if my ADD kicks in or something. I'll, I'll start wanting to do something else, but I think if I'm typing it, it kind of keeps me focused on it, and that's one of the better ways I learn.
1: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And, I, and I'd be lying, too, if I said I did that during the season, man. That's hard. <laughs> I've had years where I had to do that, man, you know. Um, but, I, no, I think, you, again, you like – you, you. I think you're never – you never go wrong in finding ways. Uh, there's so many egos, right? In what we do, with the, everybody's got a little bit of one. Everybody wants to have the this, the scheme that's the best one or this and that. But you just learn so much more by just sitting and listening and shutting your mouth and going to watch somebody else. And I mean, I've learned more from going from recruiting, right? And not about recruiting, but from from guys in the high school realm than I have from other college or NFL coaches. I mean straight up honestly you go, you go out because think about how many times when you're a high school recruiter and you're going out watching spring ball you see practice an individual so I' probably doing a bad job recruiting the DBs and I was doing a really good job of you know taking individual notes you know about the, about the old line guys over there so um, I just like anytime you get an opportunity and it, you know I, I hadn't been in a while um, and I got an opportunity to go out to the cool clinic It's sad it's not going on this year but um, but, uh, out there in Cincinnati and I, and I hadn't been for long and the last six years now I've been, and I tell you what, just an opportunity, to just like sit and listen and no egos and listen and talk ball with people and people not trying to prove they're right or, or wrong or whatever. And it's just sharing information. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. Um, and I encourage anybody that, you know, you everybody thinks they could just watch all the, you know, watch all the, uh, the tapes and you get so much out of that but the opportunity to be I mean it's all the conversations that you have in the hallways and sitting there that you gain so much information too it's amazing so
0: well coach you know talk talk talking about practice um and and I'm sure that every school that you've gone to this year and recruited that they've all been great unbelievable coaches uh and fantastic practices but maybe (laughs) at, at an old school um, that you'd recruited in ten years ago or so, how long does it take you to go to a certain practice, whether it be college or high school, but go to a practice and and how long does it take you to, to tell, okay, this is this is a well run practice. this is a well developed team compared to man, this stuff is, is this is, is not not the way that maybe I think that it should be done.
1: Man, as long as it takes you guys, right? See, so, yeah, I mean, y'all know, y'all know now too. I mean, it would be, <laughs> it would be, you know, there's different styles of it too, right? But uh, I mean, you can go to college or, or, or high school practice where there's a more of a relaxed style as they're starting everything up, right? And, but but it's organized. Guys know where they're going. On I think that's the biggest thing you look for at any level. Um, is do guys know where they're going and when they're transitioning on the field, right? Are guys locked into Getting better at something, whatever they're in, you know, or is there a lot of standing around going on, um, and that's that's tougher. You know, you may be at one a one a high school right in the sticks versus um, a four a or five a or six a high school in a major city where the support the support's not the same. But I do think you know where there's there's good coaches who understand um, the players appreciate when when those guys are organized and ready, you know, mm-hmm. and the good ones want to be coached well. And some of the young kids don't know it, like freshmen, sophomores, or whatever, but, um, but they, they want to be coached. Well, they, mean they love it when it's organized. You, you're, you're, making them feel like what, well, no matter what level you're at, when you come prepared, when you, um, when you've got a plan, you, you make them feel big time, whether they are or not. Right. And, and I think that's the most important thing, right? That's going to give you, you know, a chance to win and be have an edge and make those guys believe in what you're doing, and they're going to make an attempt to do it the right way um, and listen to and hang on every word that you say. So, man, it doesn't take long, right? (laughs) I mean, you guys have been to some other practices, (laughs) right? Level two, where you're like, (laughs) "What the heck is going on?" But um, I mean, you learn you learn stuff from from those too, right? So, there's all different styles, man. There's some there's some of the most relaxed. Um, college practices and they, you know some of those teams win like shoot they, they'll be in the top five but um, but it all just it all just depends but I definitely think the organization of it and, and just guys knowing that coaches are prepared um, because that's the most I mean I mean the most important thing the best thing I've, I've learned over the years from anybody which I think and you guys tell me um, the most valuable time you have is with your guys Mm -hmm. So whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter whether it's a position meeting. It doesn't matter whether it's a chance meeting with them down the hall. Whenever you got an opportunity to react with anybody on your team, especially your position or what you're responsible for, you should should spend twice as much time preparing for that moment as actually what it takes in that moment, right? Because that's the most valuable time, especially at college level, because you're so limited on how much time you have with you know? And if you're comparing college and pro, so – um, just being prepared and organized for those guys, man, from a respect level standpoint, I think, is that, how you get them to really respond and how they can really um, you can get them trained or get them bought in the way you want them.
0: So. Well, I think that's obviously uh, an awesome answer, Coach, and, and I'm, I'm right there with you. So, But the, now coming up on an hour, um, but the last thing before we let you go that I always like to ask guys is when you're watching another team's offensive line, What's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach?
1: Man, finishing with their feet really number one, right? Man, I love it when we were watching some guys, we watched about 25 0 linemen today, man, and was about the six one in there as a kid. He might have been 6'1", 275, but the kid would play with his hands and he was finishing with his feet, right? He wasn't trying to he wasn't trying to WWE the guy. He wasn't trying to wrestle him or anything like that. He was driving through the defender you know, rolling his hips and, and accelerating his feet. I mean, that's fun to watch. Guys that know how to go low to high with their hands, you know, um, it's funny. It's funny how I've, it's, it's been – I think one of the things that's always been an enigma and a mystery to me, and I don't know any magic drill for it, and I'm open to any answers, is just teaching hand placement with guys besides just doing it over and over again and holding them accountable. Um, to it um, but when you see guys that, that play with really good hands and understand leverage low to high and that really tells you something i think about the old line coach and then i think you just you know i i think it's hard um you know some of it you can really get your guys to play hard but sometimes i think some of those guys either got that kind of mentality or not um but uh but you, you see some lines out there man then some guys that you've had on here um that they're they're guys and they get after you know they finish um and you can tell it's really coached into them um but I, i'd say that that hand placement piece of it understand that low to high leverage and um and and just the ability to really really you know just finish and um and uh yeah
2: coach man awesome answer it's it's always good to have you know offensive line guys on and, uh, and I was just going to say, too, you know, I, I love what you said about, you know, going out to the, the high schools and recruiting. I know when we would get especially the offensive line coaches from colleges that would come through and, and have them in the office with, with me and Coach Harper. Um, those were some of our favorite times because you got to have some really cool conversations and get up on the whiteboard. And it kind of turned into those mini clinics. And honestly, I feel like those kind of talks were, were some of the inspiration for Run the Power you know us being in different states now we kind of have the ability to do that for four hours during the week so appreciate you kind of bringing that up too man
1: yeah man absolutely they you're you're exactly right i i promise you anybody in that chair they would rather be sitting there with you talking ball all day than anything else you're doing and they love their job and they love the recruiting (laughs) but if they're an o-line guy man that's you're exactly right that's where they want to be and what they want to be doing so man come on down to beaumont do that anytime man